This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. So, Irma, last week we, uh, we've been talking sequentially through this business of uh, what it means to be a spiritual person kind of trapped in a psychological existence and how we, you know, how the inner world begins to develop and evolve and, and how it's kind of created. And so we've been kind of progressively been going through that. And this particular week uh, or, or this past week, we were talking about the whisper that is left behind by the uh, the angst of the human spirit, if you will, about being um, in the scenario of a psychological reality, and uh, and in its anger and frustration, it uh, it keeps a constant state of anxiousness. And so, the question that it is whispered, uh, and it really isn't picked up uh, probably until around midlife. Actually, uh, are we more than ego? And so today's show, of course, is about that. Uh, are we more than ego? And of course, the the short answer is yes, we are more. <laughs> but uh, so so as you saw the topic, I always ask you, and you sit with the uh, with it. What kind of came through for you? Well, uh, lots of things. Um, even more so with um, the extra information that that I have um, from what you sent me. Um, but the first thing that comes up: Are we more than ego? I. I Still think, and I do know from talking with um, people in the spiritual community, I think there's still a lot of confusion around what ego actually is. Mm. Um, and and I thought maybe we could, um, you could take just a few minutes to go over what ego actually is, and um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so so in 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 a spiritual context. Uh, and psychological context, uh, it is an adaptive kind of uh, organ of perception uh, that it is it, that it comes into into being uh, around the onset of language. Uh, it's kind of like the hard drive of which we store our memories and our and our feeling reactions to experiences, which then evolve uh, uh, with those memories into emotions. Uh, the the image I like to give people of the human ego is, uh, I think, in the culture we think of it as being like a balloon, uh, where it's either small or large, and you know, small being inferior, and of course, large being grandiose and and kind of stuck in its own reflection. When uh, in truth, it's more like an onion uh, that it that its core beginning is soft and clay like. And doesn't really become hard and fixed until we hit pre-adolescence and, and, and probably the later teen years. And so what it what makes up the layers of the onion is is all the adaptation and all the defenses that we kind of uh, kind of create. So so that's that's the way the soul's intent and the way I describe the human ego is an organ of perception that is predominantly adapting to its environment. Mm-hmm. And so the question, are we more than ego? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard you talk about it. And actually, it was a, a 
a big shift for me, the understanding of um, the whole purpose of angst and suffering is to kind of suffer our ego awake to to present day. Is that the way you would put it or how, how would you put that? Yeah, that's my language for it, that uh, that the 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 relationship between the ego and the human spirit, uh, which is really what we've been kind of covering in the in the previous um uh, you know, three or four shows is uh, that first we get kind of cut away from the creator, which is the cutting of the umbilical cord and a sensation of being cut away from the source. Uh, and, and that is a longing that the human spirit has uh, to reconnect with that. Uh, but then shortly after we get here in about two and a half or two, you know, two years, I guess, maybe two and a half years from conception, really, uh, when language happens, we get divided uh, by the experience of adapting. And the division is typically related to guilt and shame in some way. So, um, so yeah, so the relationship between the human spirit and the ego is one of angst, one to correct the longing and one to correct the division. And so, the, what's important to understand about that is that we can't fix the longing till, until we fix the division. And, uh, and, that, and that's the, kind of one of the myths in the, in, the, in the spiritual community now is that you can somehow bypass that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's something you, you wrote in the, the piece that um, you, you shared with me on, on this topic, um, which I think really sums up suffering, the, the way you put this, that the human spirit enters this existence free until it becomes imprisoned by the judgments of ego. It is this interruption, adapting versus being, that forms a mean-spirited existence. As it should be, this broken spirit will hound the ego until it awakens to our grief, the lost self. And then this one line, suffering with this inner outer reality is not victimization, but the angst of returning to a feeling human being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was just so, so great because I think suffering um, and that angst that a lot of um, people feel is a very confusing um, experience to have. And to know that it has purpose, I think would be um, a very empowering feeling to to have, a, a great knowledge to, to have, yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't really have any choice. I mean, the question or the topic of the show tonight is, are we more than ego? But and of course, the answer is that we are. But the you know, the that's the good news. The bad news is there's no way around the angst. (laughs) We still we still have to uh, to live with the reality that we are feeling and emotional beings. Um, And and that takes some understanding, some uh, some. Uh, you know, in, in my mind right now, I see a, a boat on, on water and uh, imagine that the water is your emotions and that the stillness of that boat uh, is based upon your capacity to handle the ripples in that water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and that relationship between the, uh, the human spirit and ego is to literally rock the boat. <laughs> That's the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, the point of that relationship is to rock the boat so that you can steer the boat uh, and know which is the helm and which is the 
what's pulling it, what's driving it, which direction it needs to go. And of course, the, the direction spiritually is towards your heart's intent, which is towards a true um, place that is you. Um, so that provocation of the angst is literally just causing the ripples in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, without that, without that, we would never be able to handle our emotions. And uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's, a, it's a key ingredient of spiritual growth. Uh, you know, we talk about emotional maturity all the time uh, in this culture. You know, what is emotional maturity uh, or what is emotional intelligence? Well, all those words and all those terms are really used to describe how you're handling the boat on the water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and how intelligent you are and how mature you are is you try to navigate the experience that is you uh, in, this, in, in, this, in this existence as a spiritual being in a psychological reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a line here, too, that, that really stood out to me, that the ego thinks it's superior to our feelings. So that would be a confusing experience to have too, if you don't really understand the human condition and and the ego and the spirit and the heart and the soul and the understanding of what we're talking about tonight. I mean, that's why I think this is such um, a major teaching to get and understand, so you can understand your your inner life to to be able to navigate. Um, life eventually, hopefully, in a mature way. Yeah, you know, I was thinking. I was thinking today. If you go to see a doctor, and uh, or if you come in to see me, uh, which you know is the same thing, and I give you a diagnosis, uh, you know, we we tend to break that down in our head: good news, bad news, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, the the good news is that you that you were that you are. And we're born a spiritual being trapped in a psychological experience. The bad news is the ego doesn't have a clue. It doesn't have a clue of the situation that you are in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's part of the awakening that has to occur. That uh, to make the ego aware that it is not the, the internal compass, that it's the external compass, and it's limited to the external uh, and that it's blind when it comes to your internal world, uh, this is a shift in perspective, and this is an awakening that the ego has to go through. And it will fight you tooth and nail, as will the collective ego fight you, because yeah. you know, because the reality is the collective ego thinks the, that uh, it's the compass as well. In the culture, we call it morality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the term for this is, is, is morals, right? And that... Yeah. The implication is, is that we as human beings don't have the capacity to be moral. So we need somebody to somebody or something uh, to guide us and direct us until we become moral beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the implication is that we're amoral without that kind of supervision, without that kind of guidance and that kind of structure. And so that's really only valid in those formative years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're little and vulnerable and kind of and, and, and kind of trying to figure out where you fit in the world, that's when it's valuable to have a parent. At some point, uh, you become your own parent or not. You see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just curious as you're saying all of that. 
I'm, I'm just kind of curious, uh, especially, I guess, the, the area of um, the world that, that I live in, that, um, it, there's a lot of uh, conformity. Uh, there's a lot of fitting into the status quo. Um, it's not, I'm guessing, based on, on your teaching and the soul's intent, I'm guessing and I'm curious it, that the more one is able to adapt to the status quo and to conform, couldn't that be a sign that your ego actually has overtaken you and and your your heart and your true self of of the soul is not really leading your life? Because I mean conformity, I don't know. I don't see that necessarily as a a healthy thing. Well, it, it, again, it has a, it has its place. I mean, we 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 are and do struggle with uh, subordinating the, uh, our heart to the ego's uh, commands and the ego's wishes. And uh, we said last week that the ego gives and the ego takes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can do whatever it wants to do because it isn't being supervised by anybody or anything. You see. And this is the point that it's uh, it, it's it's got this absolute power uh, of uh, of controlling uh, how we think and feel about ourselves in such a profound way that unless we step back from it and realize that it's just part of an overall kind of organ uh, or GPS, as I say, internal GPS, it's part yeah. of the of this internal GPS. And it's only twenty five percent of this of this internal GPS, then we can put it in its proper position in its proper place. But it's a, it's a negotiation that has to happen inside of you. And it's a, it's a negotiation that needs to take place uh, so that you can activate your full capacity to, to be in the world and to uh, know where to, or how to be in the world. Uh, If that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Huh. Which, which kind of leads me into that question, and you talk about it, I think, in, in the opening that, that you wrote uh, about anger and mean-spiritedness. Yeah. Could you a little bit about, about that and how it relates to the topic? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think it's a profound thing to understand that the soul's intent work revealed something that's very important that we all understand, that every one of us is mean-spirited. Mm-hmm. Every one of us. The only thing that sets us apart as individuals is what we're doing with it. The majority of us take our mean spiritedness out on ourselves. Mm-hmm. But there's also a majority of us that take it out on the world around us. Mm-hmm. But why is it important to understand that we all have mean spiritedness? Well, because it's tied to the shadow. It's tied to the repressed part of the ego, the wounded self. It's also tied to guilt or shame. Mm-hmm. And so, and what is mean spiritedness? Well, it's, it's a broken spirit that happened because I wasn't allowed to be what I was intended to be. The best example we have in the culture, I said this the other day, you can, you can train a horse to jump. You can, you can train a dog to sit, but you can't train a dog to not, or a, a, a horse and a dog, not to be a horse and a dog. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this is what we do with people. Huh. We, we wow, that's really people. good. Yeah. yeah, we yeah we train people to to sit and to jump and to do all different kind of condition behaviors, uh, but we even take it further. We train people to not be people. 
Yeah, to not be their their selves. Their, their, yeah. Not be their true selves, yeah. And when you think about conditioning at that level, that's that's a pretty severe thing. So, oh, so, yeah. so, of course, what we're going to be is mean-spirited. Mm-hmm. The same thing that would happen to a horse and a dog. You can train a horse and a dog to do certain kinds of behaviors, but if you don't have a balance between positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement and you break their spirit, then you don't have any idea how they're going to behave if they're going to do what you are, are training them to do. And in fact, they can go off on you and bite you or kick you or, or whatever they would do in their mean-spirited moment, you see. Mm-hmm. So human beings are walking around with with uh, with the capacity for mean-spiritedness. Uh, and what, we, what we're calling this in the culture is bullies. Yeah, right. But it, but again, this is important because this is ancient. This bully, mm-hmm. and this mean spiritedness is also ancient. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but if you understand that the reason that it was created is because you came into this existence a spiritual being, and you were not allowed to hold on to that, and stay with that, and had to adapt instead, mm-hmm. uh, and that at some level that broke you. Uh, then the mean spiritedness is understandable. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's really important to to mention again that that mean spiritedness and that bully is not always um, acted outward towards somebody else. We can be a bully to our own selves. Yeah, in fact, that's what that's what moral people uh, moral people tend to 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 be hard on themselves and others. People that are tied to the ethic of the heart are only hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But either way, the mean spiritedness is played out. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 it's there. I mean, we all have. You know, you've heard the the phrase before. You know about uh, you know what would you do if you were imprisoned, or what would you do if you were attacked by somebody, and uh, or or how would you handle uh, being in in some adverse kind of scenario that where you'd be outside of your comfort zone, you'd have to survive. You know, the answer is always that human beings are capable of incredible things when they're forced and when they're pushed at some level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, and this is the, this is passion. The mean spiritedness that we're, that we're all can contending uh, with is, is coming from passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the two kinds of passion, one is longing and one is uh, lacking. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the longing one, which is to connect to the source, is different than the lacking, which is um, an aberrant feeling because of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's another um, section here in what you sent me, and I had a couple questions that go along with it. If we allow the ego to focus on defending itself versus releasing emotions, the ego develops a fixed and pervasive pattern of self-defense called personality disorder. This means that once this happens, we are emotionally operating in the dark. So the couple of questions I had in regards to that, um, when you say releasing versus releasing emotions, how does one release emotions? How does one release emotions? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, there's all different kinds of ways to release emotions. I think the, the, um, the, the point is that you want to feel your way through it rather than to 
drown in the emotion or be overwhelmed by the emotion. Uh, so, so it's like, um, it's like a pot on the stove kind of thing, Irma, that it's boiling. Uh, if you, if you're, emotions have got that kind of hold on you where you're about to about to blow, then that's totally different than if your emotions are just kind of uh, charging your thinking and taking you off into some kind of uh, uh, self-criticism or self-blaming kind of place. So it really depends upon the situation, on the dissipation of emotions. I mean, uh, there's all different kinds of ways to uh, to allow them to calm down, to, you know, the you know, get in your body, get out of your head, of course, is what the culture teaches us. But, uh, yeah. 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 So I don't know if that's a very good answer. Yeah, but that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of a, a pretty, pretty big question. Um, but the other piece in that section that I just read is connected to personality disorder. And mm. my question is, um, once that personality is kind of formed and, and rigid, is it changeable after that point? Is it? What is, is what changeable, the ego or the no, personality disorder? Well, if you if you look at the statistics on that, you know, I think it's three to five percent are rehabilitated in the culture, uh, which is not a very positive result. <laughs> um, but I think that in my work, that if you understand that the personality disorder is just a maladapted ego, which is only 25 percent of a larger version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you might have an opportunity to change. Uh, what has happened in my in my own experiences is that trauma tends to be the defining moment for really extreme personality disorders. Um, that if they if they undergo uh, some severe trauma, then they're going to have a wake up moment. But uh, so the better question is is not can you can you fix it because it's rigid? Is is there a is there a moment or will there be a moment when you can get their attention? And, and typically it has to be some wake up experience. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And many may never have one. You know, I mean, that's the unfortunate part about it. But but I think just knowing the difference, Irma, between, you know, are we more than our personality? Are we more than ego? Uh, is a big, important question to answer, because if we are then we can remove it from its position of power mm-hmm. uh, or at least strike a balance. We're never going to you know, remove it 100%, but we could find some balance between uh, this, this external compass and this internal world that we are, that we are connected to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, becomes a, it becomes a choice that many of us don't have or get. Well, well how would one go about finding balance if, if the ego kind of is, is leading the way in their life, how do they find the balance? Um, well, it's balance? Like, if you ask me, uh, where is the middle point in a seesaw? You can see that picture in your head. Yeah. Or a teeter totter. Uh, right. Okay. Well, we're saying now that the ego is at one end of that seesaw and the heart is at the other end of that seesaw. When in actuality, the ego is at one end and the heart is the is the pivot point. Mm-hmm. So the heart really is the center balancing place in that seesaw. But we tend to polarize it and put the heart 
uh, and put all of these kind of uh, these organs of perception on the other end of the board, so to speak. And that's B-O-A-R-D, seesaw board. Um, yeah, that we that we that we put those those organs of perception on the other side as if they're in opposition, when in reality they have very specific roles. So so take the seesaw analogy. You've got the ego sitting on one side. You have the heart being the pivot in the middle. What's on the other side of the uh, of the seesaw in between the heart and the ego? That would be the human spirit. Mm-hmm. And who's watching us go up and down? The soul. The soul was watching us go up and down. Yeah, wow. What a good way to put that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you say, what is, how do I find my balancing point? Mm-hmm. It's, like I, it's like I said to you on the phone today, you know, because I passed a, a sticker on the, on the back of the pickup truck today that said, what would Jesus do? And I, and I had this thought as I was walking today, uh, who does Jesus ask when he's got that question, what would he do? And who does Buddha ask? And who does Muhammad ask? And, and the answer truly before we, you know, if we don't even go into religion and just go into a truth that we can relate to and identify with and wrap our head around is what would my heart do? Yeah. And uh, and so that's that's always the balancing principle in the human experience, at least. What would my heart do? And uh, and so, yeah, that that where so where we put these these organs of perception in relationship to the observer and where we put them in relationship to what is observing. Again, the ego is an adaptive function. It's not in the soul's vantage point, but yet. We treat it as if it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so being real clear about what lens we're looking through is we're looking at the at the playground that is our lives is very important. Mm-hmm. And having everybody in their everybody in their correct station, ego at one end, human spirit at the other, heart in the middle and soul observing, then the playground is clear. Everybody. Wow, that is so simple. Even a two-year-old could get that. <laughs> everybody, I mean, really? yeah. everybody's, yeah, like everybody is in there is in their assigned position, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, and that's exactly what that internal GPS looks like. Uh, and that's and 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 so the, but unfortunately, if you put the any of those any of those organs of perception out of out of. Uh, character so to speak or out of role let's say we put the the ego where the soul's vantage point is then you're you're messed up you're screwed at that point yeah well that is such a i am actually going to take time and draw myself a picture of what you just said and put everything in the in the right place so when i get out of balance i can just go to that picture and i'm just going to put it on my phone actually so i can have it with me just go to that picture as a reminder. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah, great. and I just kind of and I just made that up, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what you have to do. I mean, unfortunately, we, you know, we can talk about this over and over and over again, and come up with another picture, another analogy, another. But this is what it takes. It takes um, in this particular moment, this image works. But there'll be another time and another image will work just as well. Right. Um, yeah. But 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 I think the point is that that those organs of perception are not in opposition. They are working all to the same uh, same conclusion. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That. So, yeah. 
So, so the name of the show is, are we more than ego? We are, we are that entire scene that we just painted out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that we are the observer. We are the human spirit. We are the ego and we, and the heart is the, the pivotal center point for it all to function as it, uh, as it is, as we go up and down in our lives. And what is the up and down? Well, now, yeah. That's well, this feel, that's feelings and emotions. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And wow. So, so can I ask you, um, using that same picture, if, if, if we're talking about mean-spiritedness and, and angst and suffering, what would that same picture look like if we are in that place of, of suffering? Well, we typically put a, a caretaker on the other end of that seesaw. Mm-hmm. And when we least expect it, they jump off and we crash to the ground. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, that would be that would be uh, some form of abuse, you see. Uh. Or they stay on the seesaw and uh, and criticize us for how we're doing our lives, or criticize us in that position. The point is, is that. Whoever we put at the other end of that seesaw uh, in the very beginning typically is, is, is a caretaker or a parental figure. And how that relationship played out on that seesaw, you know, I've been using the example of driving in an automobile, being a passenger in somebody else's life, and you're in the back seat. Mm-hmm. That's the metaphor I've been using for, uh, for what it's like to be a passenger in somebody's life. Well, now we're talking about what's it like to be a passenger in a seesaw. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. It you know the person that's in the person that's the heaviest tends to be in charge of the seesaw. Hmm. And if they don't control their power, if they don't control their weight, then there's no fun for the person on the other end that's lighter. You see, in, in physical weight. So you yeah. can so you can see the responsibility of the parent and the child in that in that example. That it would be no fun at all if the if the parent didn't make sure that the ride on the other end of that seesaw was consistent with the weight of that child. Mm-hmm. You see mm-hmm. anything less than that or more than that is some kind of abuse. Wow. And, uh, and so, and so again, it's just, we talk about these things metaphorically because this is how the soul sees it. This is, this is the vantage point in which the soul is standing as it sits back and sees our life. And, um, and witnesses our life from that from that position of of observer, and uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're so great at, at coming up with those those images to, um, to to get a point across, and that's so so helpful. I know it is for me because I I seem to understand that in a totally different way than um, somebody just just talking um, without using um, images. To, to try and get a point across. So thank you. Mm. No worries. <laughs> That's part of what I'm here for is to help. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. With us across, yeah. Well, one of the things I was going to start the show with today, and I didn't, is, is that, you know, I, I typically start with a term. And the term I was going to start with today was catharsis. Mm-hmm. And that, and which is defined by the soul's intent, is a a transformation of ego that's born out of suffering with itself. Uh, and and we're talking about that today. You know, the, when we ask the question, "Are we more than ego?" Of course, we are ego. We are soul. 
we are spirit, we are heart, we are all of those things. That's how we know we are more than ego. But we still have to suffer with ourselves. Mm-hmm. We still have to allow the the uh, the human spirit to provoke us into a cathartic uh, kind of awakening. And for some of us, it's insidious and slow. And for those of us who undergo trauma, it's faster and more rapid. Uh, in fact, we know now that it's three times faster uh, uh, to allow ourselves to use adversity to wake ourselves up. And most of us run from adversity rather than see the opportunity there. So, yeah. So how does one um, use the opportunity of a catharsis if they don't have a traumatic um, event happen? Well, uh, yeah. Or or how do you know you're in a catharsis? (laughs) If it it isn't a traumatic, how do you know that you're in a catharsis? Well, Yeah, that's a good question, because I think that it's for everybody, it's it's a a different experience. But I think that when you when you have a moment when you are uh, feeling your way through your life and and you have a sensation that the day or the week is different than the day or the week before, that your life is changing, you feel the change. You can't put your finger on exactly what it is, but it's different. Uh, that's a cathartic uh, kind of experience. Um, but I can tell you what we what we generally do in the culture, Irma, honestly, is we look through it vicariously. Um, I, I used uh, an example, I think, uh, the last time we talked about the, the Forrest Gump movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we do uh, in this culture to experience cathartic moments is is art, whether it be music, mm-hmm. whether, whether it be the theater, uh, when we are rattled by a scene or we are shaken by something in a movie or we are moved by a song in a particular way, those are cathartic moments. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Anytime, anytime that we're moved, we have an opportunity to examine why we're being moved uh, and, what the mo- and what the moving is about. I mean, what the internal movement is about. Uh, we have an opportunity in that moment to, you know, that's like I said, we can go to movies that we call tearjerkers and and miss the and miss the point. The point is is that it's a tearjerker, yes. But why are you crying? Are you crying because of the scene and only the scene, or are you crying because it touched something in you that you can identify with? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so these so we have moments like that all the time, uh, mm-hmm. where uh, where we can choose an emotion that is relatively harmless. It's more of a vicarious uh, event that we are in the middle of. And we can turn it into something special. So what would be the difference between an epiphany and a catharsis? Well, an epiphany is a, is really just a, um, just an insight. It's like a light bulb going off in your head. And we, and we know now that uh, certain areas of the brain light up when you have an insight. So there, so there really is a light going off in your head. Um, uh, where a catharsis is a physical purging of of emotional material that you've been carrying along with you. Uh, it's almost like, it's almost like sticking your finger in your throat to make yourself vomit. There's a, there's a purging that takes place of emotions. Uh, and with those emotions go the beliefs uh, of, of what you thought before. So that's really what a catharsis ends up doing. There's a purging. Huh. Wow. 
Well, that's clearly understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Without a physical, yeah, without physical purging. And, and you've, and you've mentioned it to me and I've mentioned it to you that we've had moments in our lives where we went to bed one day and got up the next day and felt like a different person. <laughs> and there, and there was a, and there was a, and we could target the, that there was a purging moment. That there was a moment where purging actually occurred. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and there's a definite, um, uh, the word that comes to mind is a, a transformation after mm-hmm. the catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't transform until you purge yourself of what is keeping you from being here in this experience. You see, so mm-hmm. the, the transformation means you have to you have to let go of something. Uh, and typically, purging uh, is the word that comes to mind to me because catharsis is not walked into voluntarily. It typically sneaks up on us in some way, uh, catharsis. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and it, it, it um, because I have gone through um, a catharsis, probably more than one, it is very um, physical. There is a, a physicalness that goes with that. So I, I think I've heard you describe and kind of um, in equal terms, um, spiritual and feeling kind of being the same thing. Yeah, I, I use the words interchangeable because people have difficulty sometimes with the word spirit uh, yeah. because, because it sounds like a religious term to some folks. And people also think spirit and soul are the same animal. Uh, I want people to very, very specifically understand if you're going to look at your life in a psycho-spiritual way, then the, the human spirit really is your feeling reaction to the present moment. So... It is formed uh, as soon as you have your first feeling that you can evaluate. So in other words, without the evaluation of a feeling, it can't become an emotion yet. Mm-hmm. So, and by that, I mean before language. So mm-hmm. in the beginning, you just come in feeling everything, sensing everything, but not having a way to analyze it, no way to categorize it. And so that feeling animal that you are uh, really is uh, – the spirit that you are, the human spirit that you are. Uh, and then as you begin to be able to attach thoughts and, uh, uh, and experiences to the feelings, they then become emotions. Um, so, so I'm, I'm making the distinction that, that we are feeling beings, uh, purely feeling beings, sensing beings without all that other stuff in the way uh, until we become psychological animals after the fact. Mm-hmm. And this is and, and this isn't good or bad or this is just what it means to be a human being. Right. You know I mean? Right. Right. And then emotions are a reenactment? Yes. Yeah. A reenactment of a feeling and a thought that have been paired together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, which, and connected uh, to the past. Not the, which, not which has become present. yeah, which has yeah, which has become a belief at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. Wow. If, if if we have enough feelings and thoughts that that are paired together, kind of often enough and repetitively enough, again, this is what conditioning and learned behavior is. If we have the experiences often enough, then we believe it's the truth, and uh, and so we store it away as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And emotions um, usually have a um, charge to them, where feelings really don't. Yeah, the key word. The key word there is motion. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, feelings feelings kind of flow in the moment where mm-hmm. emotions emotions uh, are uh, connected to thinking, and yeah. so uh, and and so emotions can be calm, like calm water, but then a thought can drop into the water like a boulder. Right. You see, and then and then you have to deal with what that means. Feeling is more. Um, it's not a thought. It's nature. It's imagine the wind is moving the water. Yeah, yeah. Instead, instead of instead of a word moving the water. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so it's that it's that it's that distinction. Yeah, and um, feelings um, and thoughts become beliefs, and beliefs um, to an extreme become personality disorder. Yeah. Well, Yes, yes. Yeah, by design, by design, uh, any distorted beliefs that we have about ourselves uh, in relationship to the world is disorder. Gosh, this has been a great show. I mean, even though it's probably shorter than, than usual, I just got so much out of this show. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. While problems manifest psycho-spiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And the soul's intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. And how in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.